Welcome to Pharma Launch Secrets, a podcast by Evermed. We host direct, actionable conversations with world-leading pharma launch experts that will help you launch your next product or indication successfully. Now, here's your host, Bozidar Jovicevic. Hello and welcome to the new episode of Pharma Launch Secrets podcast. Today I have a pleasure of talking with someone who doesn't come from pharma industry, yet is an expert in a topic that is very near and dear to my heart and is becoming near and dear to the heart of pharma industry, which is content and more specifically video content. So I'm joined today by Tyler Lessard. Tyler is the VP of Marketing and Chief Video Strategist at Vidyard a software company offering a video platform for marketing and sales, video hosting, enablement, and analytics that helps businesses connect more with buyers, close more deals, and optimize content for real results. Tyler worked at BlackBerry previously uh, for over a decade in several roles, most notably as VP, Global Alliances, and Developer Relations. Besides BlackBerry, he has worked at Deloitte Consulting, Fixmo, and SalesFeed, among others. Welcome, Tyler. Thank you very much. It is great to be here. All right. So I have a lot of questions that I want to go into today with you and I uh, hope it will be very useful useful for, for people who used to work in regulated industries and are trying to learn actually how to you know, borrow some ideas from other industries and use it for their day-to-day. So we'll talk about video today. <laughs> video, we live in a visual age. You authored the book, a co-authored the book called Visual Sale, which is phenomenal. I recommend it to everyone I meet. Video is the most efficient way for businesses to explain complex ideas and establish trust with audiences. Could you please elaborate on that? Why video? Yeah, it's uh, such an important point because we all kind of think about, you know, video, of course, it's a great medium. We see commercials, we watch a lot of it in our personal lives. But as we think about it in a business context, there are a number of ways in which video clearly stands out from other forms of content. And some of the things that I think about as it's key characteristics or almost its superpowers over static content, text, and other things. And in the book, I talk about what I call the four E's of video. And these are four words that all start with the letter E that I think encapsulate many of the inherent benefits of video and are the kinds of things that we wanna think about when we are creating great content for our audiences, whether it's marketing content, whether it's a sales rep making a video or frankly, anything that we're putting out there into the market. The four E's, to spoil it completely, you should still read the book, but the first is educational, right? Video is the best way to educate people because of how our brain actually processes visual and audible information, right? We can use visuals to help improve clarity. We can use tonality. We can use storytelling. All of these help not only in us processing information, but also how we retain information. So it's highly educational. The second is that video has the opportunity to be more engaging than other forms of content. And that comes partly to our ability to use visuals, which can draw on our attention and really appease our eyes, but also its ability to help us craft storytelling narratives and bring more interest into the conversation. Educational, engaging, the third is emotional, right? When was the last time you laughed at a white paper? Well, uh, maybe you laughed at it and not with it, but video gives us this chance, as does audio, like we're, we're, you know, for our listeners out there, 
to stir more emotion in our audiences, to make them feel something, whether it's surprise or delight or laughter, or maybe it's even sympathy. And finally, empathy. Our fourth E is video has the ability for us to deliver our messages in a way that's more empathetic than other mediums because we can put ourselves out there as real people, right? We can speak to and with our audience as individuals and we can use our body language, we can use our tone, we can use our words to show them we get them, we understand them and we're here to help them. So when you think about those four together, it's more educational, engaging, emotional and empathetic. You start to wonder, why am I not doing more video? Like, absolutely, those are the things I wanna do with my audiences. So that's what gets me really excited about the potential of using video more actively in our programs. And I'll definitely ask you what, why people are not using more videos, but I wanna go back to these four E's. I think it's a beautiful and easy to remember acronym. I went to medical school, so I had to remember a lot of things that I always had <laughs> this first letter. Didn't mention trust, maybe because it starts with T or it's part of everything. <laughs> One of the things for me, and I think for, for in pharma industry and medical education, doctors trust pharma companies less than they trust their peers and less than they trust medical societies, which is typically the ones issuing guidelines on, on new treatments and how new treatment can be used. And then the other piece is also educational, which is huge. I read somewhere that retention is something like 8x for video versus reading, which when it struck me like, oh my God, like so I'm spending, I can spend one eighth of time when I'm watching something versus reading something. It's just like, okay. I, was, I wanted to kind of go into this topic like link between trust, establishing credibility and video. What are some of the either statistics or something that you've seen from your industry? Yeah, well, you're absolutely right. And I wish trust started with the letter E. I would have made it my fifth E. But the reality is it is an output or an outcome of those other four E's, right? The things that we tend to trust the most are those that either we inherently believe the information because we can see it, not just hear it, right? So the believability is a big factor and that comes through in how we can educate with video content. The empathy factor of video, right? We're, we are more inclined to trust information when we can see and hear real people delivering that concept. So if I were to read an article or a blog post on something versus watch a short video of that same expert actually deliver that information, I may be more inclined to trust the video because it's very clear who this individual is. They're the ones delivering the information. It hasn't been scrubbed and reworded and edited by a marketer somewhere. And so those things really come into play. And to your point, trust is, I mean, trust is everything in business. It really, really is. And if we think about how can we be the most trustworthy to our audience as a brand, our content is a big part of that. And using video as this transparent way to deliver our information, a trustworthy way to deliver our information is such a powerful concept. But it goes right down into even how we deliver information on a one-to-one -one basis, right? We all know the most trustworthy method was the actual in-person conversation, right? Where we can actually see the other individual, we can actually feel their energy. And, but in times we can't do that, right? Video is the next best thing to being in person from a trust perspective. And that's why we do video calls. And that's also why more and more sales reps are sending video messages to deliver their information rather than just typing out an email to answer a question or you know, sending over an email with a PDF attached. They'll hit the record button on a tool like Vidyard or others 
they'll record a response, they'll walk through a document or a proposal and they'll send that over so that again, it comes across as more personal, more human, more trustworthy, more authentic because it's coming from a real person. And that just adds such an important element. So I think it is such a key concept and it's hard to argue that in-person and then video are the best ways to create trust within an environment. And a small thing that I'll also emphasize is that a part of trust over time also comes back to consistency and frequency, right? We can very quickly lose trust in something if it's fallen away from our mind or we've forgotten a little bit about it or it hasn't shown up recently and supported us in a way. And so that's where almost this consistency of your brand coming to life for your customers in video with real people from your company becomes so, so important in how we engage with our customers. Yeah, and I would add one one other thing that, that you're saying. I feel like I'm adding more letters to the model. The four E's is so powerful. And I'm thinking trust. And one thing that comes to mind that I lately am thinking a lot is scalability. Because if you record video once and more than one person sees it, in a way, it's like having all of those conversations while you are spending time on that one conversation. And that is like extremely powerful. I mean, talking about influencers and content creators nowadays. So even in sales, yes, you can create like one on one video personalized. Great. Sometimes you can create one educational piece of video, like what, what you propose in your book, like I think you call it 80% video with most seven to 10 most commonly asked questions by your prospects and clients. And you put that video so that instead of repeating it hundred times, you have it there. It's well, nicely edited and probably they want to watch that. <laughs> they prefer to watch that than someone who, you know, on that day may not deliver it very well. So how big is the notion of scale and scalability? Talking about the benefits of the video. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a huge piece. I think generally for the world of content, right? Scalability is a big piece to it, whether we're writing it, whether we're creating imagery, whether we're doing podcasts or whether we're making videos. So inherently your content is always going to scale better than always relying on one-to-one -one conversations. But a really important part of this is first and foremost, video allows you to scale, not just the message, but also the personality, the humanity, right? Which can get lost if you're just using other forms of static content. And another interesting thing, which you alluded to was, this stuff is even more important in today's world where our buyers, our prospects, increasingly do not want to have live one-to-one -one conversations with salespeople, right? I'm sorry for all the salespeople listening, but it is true. Doesn't mean you're out of a job, not by any means. It means what you do is gonna change a little bit. But most people don't necessarily wanna have frequent live conversations with sales reps. And people who are part of review committees or buying committees are also less and less wanting to show up even for live video calls. Right? They wanna consume more information on their own time asynchronously. And this has been a big output from the great decentralization of the business world, right? In the old world, and in some cases still today, of course, when companies are all, people are all in the same office, right? They would get together in a meeting room and sit there and have a call with a, with a rep. Everybody would hear the same story, they'd go over it. At the end of the meeting, they'd have a dialogue and they might make a decision. But in today's world, when more and more people are distributed, some of them are working at home. Now they're global because they could hire people remotely uh, everywhere. That's not happening as much. So now we have to rely more and more on asynchronous content to get the message to those people. 
because those 10 people aren't getting in the office together. Instead, you have to go and find them. So by making a video where you explain an idea, you present a proposal, you go through pricing and sending that video to each of the individuals or sending it to your champion and having it shared around, now they can all watch it on their own time. They can all get up to speed and hear your message, even though they didn't attend the live video call, for example. So I think it's both a scale and a reach benefit that we see now today with using video in different ways. And frankly, it's because of the changes of our buyers. It's nothing to do with how we want to market or sell necessarily. It's aligning to the way that our buyers now prefer to interact with brands and marketers and sales teams. And just to clarify for the listeners, asynchronous video. So if you can just explain what is asynchronous video. Yeah, asynchronous video just means any video you can watch on your own time. And so that, of course, can be uh, you know a video that you've produced from your marketing team that they can watch on your website or can be sent over directly for viewing. But also we're seeing with new tools that salespeople and others are recording a video message, sending it over for them to watch on their own time, instead of always relying on saying, hey, let's hop on a video call so I can explain that idea. And so it is an important difference in starting to think about, oh yeah, how can more and more we help share content with our customers that they can consume on their own time as a way to make faster buying decisions because that's what they really prefer. Yeah, and that's really powerful. In our industry, there are multiple pieces of market research over the past six months that point out that doctors want the exact same thing you're mentioning. They want access to a short form video that's on demand. So short form is very common. It doesn't need to be only short form, but most commonly short form on demand. And they want to be able to watch it when they want it, how they want it, because respecting their context, because they're very busy people in terms of having practices and patients, number one. Number two, the number of new medical information is doubling every year. So staying up to date, being today's doctor is really difficult. And then so you're looking for ways to do that in a way that, that fits into your day rather than the other way around and be interrupted by a sales rep who, you know, traveled for an hour and a half to spend one minute with you because for them it's also difficult. So having an ability to take those, we notice that doctors watch like 5 to 15 minutes in the morning, like in between two patients, or sometimes in the afternoon, very often at 7, 8 p.m. They would watch because that's the time, hey, I wanted to check that new study that I heard somewhere watching the journal. So it's, it's extremely powerful, especially in the context of, of doctors. Now, the benefits are so clear, and I wish like every business tomorrow starts to use video. The question is, what stands in the way? What are the most common reasons that you see that block people from using video? Well, traditionally, video has been much more expensive, much more time consuming, and, and frankly, much more complicated to create. And most businesses today did not evolve with video content just being a part of, quote unquote, what they do. Right. So most of our marketing teams were built around designing websites and running advertising campaigns. And the content they create has traditionally been written blog posts, PDFs, white papers, guides, research reports. Very few in the grand scheme of things, businesses actually have in-house video producers or creators, which still blows my mind today. I, I feel like got to happen soon. And, and we do see it more and more. Absolutely that video is becoming part of what businesses do and what they're good at, becoming an internal muscle as opposed to every time I want to make a video, I'm going to go off and hire an agency and spend $20,000, right? Because that is not going to be a scalable way to use video. 
And so I think more and more we have to get comfortable with this needs to be something we can do as a marketing team, as a sales team. I think we also need to understand the kinds of videos that we can be creating with frequency and at scale that I think are even more and more meaningful these days because there's value in the really well-produced videos for our website and our homepage and our explainers and things like that. More and more of the content that's just educating our clients is becoming really simple to create. Customers aren't expecting anymore that every video is this high-polished Hollywood movie kind of an experience. And in fact, in many cases, they prefer that it's not because it's more trustworthy, it's more authentic, it's more believable, and sometimes it's even more interesting when it is a real person, right, on camera with some simple visuals supporting the narrative. And it's about the content value, not the production value. And that's what we need to start to get our heads wrapped around. Content value over production value and thinking about how can we just start to make creating videos a part of the way we communicate our messages so that it doesn't feel like a big expensive project every time somebody wants to make something. Right. What is the working with the organizations that are 100 plus people? In farm, a lot of organizations are thousands of people, but usually, you know, there are teams in different countries. So we're talking about 100 plus typically. What would be the first hire or first hires that they would have in order to, is it like a videographer? Is it video editor? Is it, hey, assign one room? Typically they have a lot of space. So assign one room and turn it into a studio. So what do you see like to just make those first steps to get the closer to adopting a habit and reducing complexity, right? Which you mentioned the other thing. So what are some of the kind of like advice that you give to your clients? Yeah, so having somebody internally who is your kind of video practice lead is really, really important. Ideally, that is somebody who comes from a video and multimedia background, and you can hire them in as a video production lead, lead video editor. They, they absolutely must have video editing skills, but most producers, if not all, will have the fundamentals of what you need for video editing. Again, most video producers are going to have great experience in terms of capturing content, directing people on camera, those sorts of things. And so I would start with somebody who is has the ability to capture, edit, and publish content effectively and understands the nuances of both video and editing, but also of storytelling and, and how to really craft a great narrative on video. However, that individual doesn't need to have huge amount of like graphic design experience or special effects or these kinds of things. Because in most cases in the world of business, we don't actually need those. They're sometimes nice to have. So I'd start there. But what, what I found really interesting over the last few years is people in these roles, part of their job becomes not only creating the content as a, as a central service, but also helping and enabling and empowering others in the business to start to make video as well, or be a more active part of the video creation process. So for example, here at Vidyard, our, our lead video producer, our head of video is a gentleman named Blake Smith. He's an established producer, he's been around for a long time, and uh, he does a lot of the production and editing, but he also works with all sorts of other people in the marketing team, in the sales team, in the product team, and he'll coach them and help them. So sometimes they can make their own videos or they can capture content that they can share with him and he can do the final edits to get it ready to put out. And so it starts to become almost more distributed, if you will. Because imagine if there was only one person in your company who could write emails. I mean, that would be a horrible experience. 
<laughs> Anytime you wanted to write an email to a customer, it had to go through this one person. Video isn't quite there. We don't do video at the frequency we write emails. But I think, you know, in the years ahead, being able to record and share a video is going to be just as important a business skill as writing and sending an email. And I think the faster we can get to that in our companies, the better. I love that. I'll definitely quote you on that. I imagine there was one person who <laughs> has a skill to write email. Now, pharma. Pharma is a very interesting world. And a lot of times the first thing people say in pharma is when they hear something like a video. First of all, there is fear, there is uncertainty, there's lack of know-how. And then, but the, usually if someone wants to kill an idea, they would say, but we are a regulated industry. We are so special, <laughs> right? And it's interesting because I'm like, okay, we're not the only regulated industry. I've been in pharma for 17 years now. Pharma companies are our clients. So it will be, I feel like sometimes, honestly, to be a little provocative, it's used as an excuse, right? So, of course, pharma can produce video and pharma companies have produced a lot of videos for patients, for doctors, for regulators, for investors over the years. But it hasn't reached the point where that is like a normal day to day when there is one person who is creating those habits internally and where marketeers in pharma who are bringing 10 years, typically, it takes to produce to create a drug, 10 years and billion and uh, to what $2 billion worth of investment in science. Built, put, bringing something like that in the market, using video to do that can be very powerful. So in your experience working with regulated industries, what have you found to be the, some, the bigger obstacles and any examples of regulated industries that are actually using video well? Let's break some belief here. <laughs> no, it's a, it's a terrific question. And we've seen this happen, absolutely. The bottleneck, the problem, the, the inhibitor to using video in most cases in pharma and we work in financial services and some other markets that have similar regulation is that it's not the ability to create the content. It's the ability to manage that content, to report on that content and to ensure that if a problem is identified, that that content can be recalled and rectified quickly and in a way that can be documented and archived. That's the biggest challenge. And so most companies, when they start with video, they'll start creating video content. And then you have to ask yourself, okay, how am I gonna publish this? Where am I gonna host these videos? What video player am I going to use? And then am I gonna, when I put them on my websites or am I gonna put them on a third party channel? And often the starting point is YouTube because that's what we know and that's easy and it's free, frankly. And so you publish a video to your YouTube channel. You take that YouTube video, you embed it on your website and you're off to the races. But in somewhere like pharma, that can be a real problem because if at some point there's a problem with a video, YouTube simply doesn't have the tools, they're not built for business, to be able to do what you need to do to say, okay, I've got to make sure everywhere it's embedded, that it's taken down, I want to update the content. Well, actually YouTube doesn't even allow you to do that. You have to take it down and then publish a new version and figure out where are all the links to it. So there's all these problems that can happen. And so that's where you really need to think about using a video hosting platform that is actually built for business, where when you upload and publish a video, you have the ability to do things like manage the playback experience. If a problem is found in a video, you can easily update the video and it automatically cascades to anywhere where that video is published so you can be sure and you can track those changes. You also want to have things like audit trails on if a video is uploaded, right? Who is it that uploaded into the system? Were there changes made to it? Was the description updated? All of these things, if you have the ability to track and manage that, 
it becomes a huge enabler because now you say, ah, we can manage this as we need to. Now we can just focus on creating the best content and not worry every time we publish a video around the potential regulatory risks that we're not sure that we can that we can work on. So I think that's the biggest and most important thing you need to think about. I'm really glad you were saying this because sometimes I get a question and our sales teams also get a question like, why not simply use YouTube? And sometimes <laughs> we started saying, so why not simply using YouTube? And then actually a prospect like immediately know like a five reasons why not to use YouTube. Like what you mentioned, even in pharma, there is one additional thing, which is for legal reasons in many countries, you have to identify yourself as a healthcare professional because that's content for doctors versus content for patients. So you cannot do that on YouTube, as you said. It's not, it's not designed for that business use, but all the other reasons that you mentioned so powerful, not to even mention constant interruptions with ads and also that it's not designed for a superior learning experience and scientific exchange, for example, things like that. And in terms of speed of content, so I don't know airlines, I don't know finance industries. I do know that I get a lot of content from Charles Schwab every month, which is uh, you know, one of the biggest players in pharma industry. So I'm sure that there are big edit editor teams and there, there is a whole process for reviewing the content. Have you found anything among the regulated clients or in general that speeds that up? In pharma, it's called MLR, Medical Legal Regulatory Review. It's a review. It's a basic review of text and anything that kind of speeds that up is, for example, creating copy first before having all the visual slides, something that will speed up the review, give you some lead time, things like that, that you've seen that work well. Yeah, I think there's, uh, there's some simple things that may be obvious. The good old measure twice and cut once philosophy of before you actually go and film the content, yes, make sure that any potential issues are, are addressed from a script perspective, even from the visuals that are going to be shown. So get ahead of that because, again, if you go produce, edit a video, and then somebody says, oh, well, this line we're not allowed to say, and then you go, ah, back to the drawing board. That's a really painful process. So do what you can to ensure that before you shoot, before you edit, everybody is on board and comfortable with the, the script or the concept and so on. So that, that's a pretty simple one that we all uh, need to be smart about. Beyond that, I mean, there are also great tools out there to be able to, once you do upload a video, to easily create a transcript and to analyze those transcripts, again, against uh, regulatory compliance uh, requirements. One example, actually, we, uh, so at Vidyard, we do have a hosting platform, which is why I know, uh, you know quite a bit about this. And we have folks in pharma, financial services, others who use us. And we actually have a partner uh, named Theta Lake who has tools built to be able to, anytime a video is uploaded, it will transcribe the audio analyze the transcription, but it will also analyze the visuals of the video. So it will actually scan the frames. And both of those are looking to detect things that could be potential compliance breaches. So they check against policies that are set up on the back end. And if it does detect that either in the transcript, something was said that could be a potential violation, or there was something shown on the screen that could present some risk, it will flag those. And the administrator can then, of course, intervene if they need to. And so that automates a lot of that process, which then allows some of those companies to say, well, we can publish at a higher frequency with a greater confidence, right? It's never going to be 100%, right? Let's not get to that point. But we have a much greater confidence that the content we're putting out is meeting what we need. And if an issue is detected, we have the ability to remedy it quickly. That's fantastic. And then we often get a question whether educational videos, for example, from doctors teaching to doctors, what's called peer-to-peer -peer in the industry, whether videos need to be high production studio 
or they can be done remotely, of course, with a nice light, like both you and I now have nice cameras with autofocus, with, you have blurred background, I have solid background, we have good audio, we have good lighting. So is there really a value of spending 3x more money in the studio or it can be done remotely? You mentioned that, that overproduction can be a detrimental sometimes. So I'm really wondering because there are a lot of conversations in our industry around that right now. Yeah, I mean, my feeling is that more and more of the content that's being created and shared is going to be done and is being done in more almost user generated ways. So as you alluded to, right, recording a conversation, the, the tool we're using right now, Riverside.fm, I'm a huge fan. I use it as well in, in our business and we record interviews and conversations with others. It records locally on both sides. I do not have an investment or stake in Riverside. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's a great tool that enables this, right? It records high quality video and audio on both sides, uploads it to a central place. So you can then edit that and, and incorporate it into uh, a finished product. And so these things are absolutely now uh, possible in the market. The phone, I've got my iPhone here. For those of you listening, I'm holding it up to the screen right now because my iPhone, I mean, the, the, the quality I get in terms of the, the video content from that I mean, is better than most high-end cameras I had access to five years ago. So the tools are there that we can create remote content with good enough quality that I think we're going to see way more of that. Also, the fact that we've all been, doctors included, over the last few years on Zoom calls and team calls where people are in their homes, their dogs are barking, kids running through the kitchen, and that's fine. We've all come to terms with that. It's almost, again, changed the, the, the playing field. So more and more, I have no doubt, content is going to be created very efficiently with remote capture in shared sessions like this. My biggest tip for you in doing this is that audio quality is actually more important than the video quality. So focus the video quality. I mean, you, want, you don't want it to be bad, obviously. And a little bit of lighting can really help with that. So if you're coaching people on the other side that you're recording remotely, focus on getting good lighting. Don't make them go buy a new camera. Say, let's just get your lighting a little bit better and let's try to get your audio as best as possible. Because when somebody's watching, if they can hear it clearly, they'll keep watching. If the video is amazing, but the person's crackly or the audio isn't great, they'll stop watching. It's a lot harder to follow. So focus on audio quality, focus on good lighting, and it almost doesn't even matter what camera you have. And that remote um, capture absolutely is a great strategy. That's great. I've been actually testing different things and AirPods didn't work well and they don't work well for capturing audio for things like that. And then this one, even though it's visible, it's, it costs like $15, but it gets like really great audio quality. So yes, people see this. I'm like, okay, I'm willing to publish it like this because audio quality is good. And as you said, people are kind of okay with this. Could I do it better? Of course, I assume you're using a, either a shotgun microphone or a lapel microphone, something like lavalier microphone. So just basically not use computer microphone. Yep, <laughs> and, that's right. And I think AirPods <laughs> also like, uh, or like anything wireless, it's hard. Wireless, okay. And then one thing I want to ask you is, like pharma industry has been traditionally relying on sales reps, right? So if you have a commercial problem in pharma for years, you throw more sales reps. Now over time that has changed and less and less doctors were open to even seeing sales reps. But what really happened during COVID is that of course, doctors couldn't see sales reps, so there was remote engagement, like, you know, Zoom-like engagement. But now after COVID, what's really interesting is that the number of doctors who see reps has really dramatically 
being reduced. So reduced access is, is, is a big issue. So what we are suggesting and, and talking with the market and learning that's used more and more is that for top of the funnel content, which is disease education in our industry, and then middle of the funnel content, which is product education, you can use video and the reps can come later that. So I know in the book, you also divided, divided like the, the, the customer awareness stage, like at three phases. I think it's, you know, awareness, education, and then adoption, something like that. Sorry if I butchered it. Where does video fit the most there? And in the model where sales reps are needed, where does video fit? Yeah, it's a great question. And it's changed over the years. And, and to your point, a lot of that is because of the way our buyer's expectations have changed. So if you go back, say, 10 years or so, video was primarily being used as an awareness tool. And so focused on brand campaigns, broad communications, even social media was the primary use of video. But in the last 10 years, and particularly the last five years, that middle of funnel has become what I think the real sweet spot for the use of video. And that's because of the first E of its ability to be more educational than any other forms of content. And the fact that most people are no longer, again, just going straight from awareness to saying, okay, let me talk to a salesperson. They're self-educating more and more. And so us using video in that mid funnel to clearly show and tell how, what our solutions offer, right? How do they actually really work? I wanna hear from peers of mine or other companies who have adopted this and what their experiences were, right? So there's lots of different forms of video that fit in that mid funnel. And I think that's where there's a real opportunity for us to uh, to leverage it, where it also moves the needle a lot more on business, right? It's hard to tie awareness level content to revenue, but as you start seeing people who are actively self-educating through your video content, converting faster to a sales opportunity, sometimes even self-purchasing because they've already learned all they need to know through the content, right? Like that's when we get to be hyper-efficient as a marketing and sales organization. But equally important is when we start to meet the buyers where they are, right? If for no other reason, if that's the way they'd prefer to learn, we should be doing it, right? We need to have a buyer-centric view on the market. But the good news is it also makes us more efficient marketers and sellers. So it's a bit of a win-win in the mid-funnel process. Yeah, definitely. I love the notion of self-education. We use the term self-service recently when we were publishing something around that. And it really is like that. People kind of are more comfortable with the tools than they used to be, and they want to watch it on their own time. It used to be, in terms of like numbers of videos, it used to be, and then I have several personal questions to ask you for the, for the very end, because I know we're a little bit out of time. But first one is, it used to be, you know, Google study says it takes seven touch points in order for someone to become a customer right? Or elite. Is this right now like, oh, it takes like seven short form videos in order to, are there any statistics recently that you're aware of? Like, what are you seeing? Uh, especially middle of the funnel and, and bottom of the funnel. Yeah, I, I think it's 700 now or, or something like that. But they're not all videos, let's let's be clear. And But there's no question. And, and I've seen countless data sources that continue to validate that more and more buyers are going through increasingly self-service on-demand buying journeys, right? More of that buying journey is happening on their own time. And it's a mix of content formats that they're consuming, right? And I would never advocate that you just need video, right? right? And today, the most powerful content strategy is a portfolio mix where, again, you can meet your audience where they are. There are lots of cases where reading an article, reading a written report and so on is very, very relevant. And a lot of people will opt for that. But there are also lots of cases where they may 
choose to or prefer to watch a video, or maybe it's in better interest to watch a video because it's a topic that is so dependent on seeing or visuals or storytelling. So I really believe that more and more you're going to see lots of these self-service touch points in the buying journey. And it's also bleeding right through into the whole customer lifecycle, right? Once somebody's bought as a client, post-sale, right? They're coming back, they're re-interacting with brands as educators, And so they're going to get on your newsletter. So every week they get some updates from you. They're going to come back to watch some of your video series because you're putting that information out there as a thought leader and they want to stay engaged. So there's a whole opportunity through the customer lifecycle, both for content, but again, this hero role that video can play that just makes your brand so much more tangible to your prospects and to your existing customers. So. That is wonderful. Oh, great. A lot of quotes. I can't wait to publish this episode, honestly. (laughs) So I have five or six questions for you at the very end so people can get to know you a little bit better. We'll go rapid fire. So what is your favorite industry buzzword of the year 2022? Oh, my favorite buzzword. I'm going to go with TikTok, (laughs) which is actually a buzz in a lot of B2B companies these days trying to figure out Should we be on TikTok or not? Most aren't yet. My prediction, within five years, they all will be. They all will be, yeah. What is the best book you've read in the last 12 months, apart from your own? Oh, you know what? I've got it sitting here beside me. I love this book. Uh, I just finished it, The Catalyst by Jonah Berger, How to Change Anyone's Mind. It's something that is generally applicable to anything in your life because we all want to influence people and change their minds in some ways. But as a marketer, it's just brilliant insight into how to drive behavior i'm at about 20 percent. i really love like a notion like always give an option like to give, give feeling of control to others right <laughs> what's your go-to song when you need some inspiration or type of music you know what i was uh actually just uh last week i was at a great concert from i'm here from toronto for those of you who haven't heard my canadian accent yet a eh? one of our favorite local artists the weekend I had a chance to go to his concert along with my uh, my wife and uh, two oldest kids. And I love some good weekend, the weekend vibes that just get me in a groove, get me feeling good. So I'm going to go with the weekend. Yes. You know, Spotify showed me last year, at the end of the year, most commonly listened song for me was weekend song. <laughs> I guess a lot of like Canadians. Drake is also from Canada, right? Or from yeah, Toronto. That's right. right. Yeah. Uh, who in the world of video marketing would you most like to take for lunch? Oh, you know, Todd Hartley is a gentleman that I'm a big fan of. He uh, runs an agency called Wirebuzz, and uh, he's been a thought leader in the video marketing world for quite a while. And he, anecdotally, last year actually got selected by Tony Robbins to actually teach a video marketing and video selling class as part of the Tony Robbins Masterclass, which is uh, pretty incredible. And again, somebody I've admired for uh, for a long time in the video marketing space, Todd Hartley. Check him Todd out. Hartley. I'll check him out. Yeah, I've been to Tony Robbins events. I've done Date with Destiny 2012. It was like six days. Insanity. Uh, and what one sentence advice would you give to anyone just starting out in video marketing? One sentence. When it comes to using video, it's about connection, not perfection. And I'll leave it at that. Love it. It will be the quote of the episode. And then finally, where can people find you online? I'm active on LinkedIn, so please take a look on LinkedIn, Tyler Lassard Vidyard. You'll find me there. If you have any questions, feel free to toss them my way. I'm always happy to chat or send you a video to answer anything you may be thinking about. 
love it. I started using video for uh, actual interviews for the early stages of the interview. I asked three questions and they respond with two questions and at least there I get go. to see people. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's been an absolute pleasure. I think it's going to be a fantastic episode. I'm looking forward to staying in touch and getting better every day with video. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. No, it was great. Really appreciate being on the show. This podcast was brought to you by Evermed. Evermed offers pharma companies the fastest path to having their own Netflix-like on-demand video engagement hubs for doctors or patients. Make sure to search for Pharma Launch Secrets in Apple Podcasts or Spotify and click on the follow icon so you don't miss any future episodes. On behalf of the team here at Evermed, thanks for listening.